0: Good heavens are you still trying to win? you've got an overdeveloped sense of vengeance. it's going to get you into trouble someday.
1: Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya.
0: You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die.
1: Time store Andy! You
3: hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever I'm Zach I'm Matt and this is episode number 138
4: the princess bride this is a pretty fun movie I think it's Leads well into uh, the summertime, nice weather, <laughs> kind of upbeat. I think it's a good lead-in for the most fun time of the year for us. Summer leading right into <laughs> fall. <laughs> well, this is the, the good time of the year for the show, Is I this feel your like. new bit
3: on the show, is to somehow bring up October every it, single Yeah, we're episode. just counting
4: down to it.
3: <laughs> well, folks, if you don't want to wait that long, we have something special planned for June. I think... We're not going to announce specifically what it is yet, but we're getting close to the announcement. We have a fun summer month planned. Yeah. A little different wrinkle.
4: Usually people kind of think like, oh, they're on their summer schedule now, like shorter hours, not really pumping out as many episodes. No way. Yeah, we've really got a lot planned for this summer. Yeah. I
3: mean, we are full speed ahead, and I think now would be a good time to remind some of our listeners to go on to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, and in addition to subscribing to the show, if you could give us a rating and review. I haven't asked for a rating and review in a while. No. Let's get those reviews up.
4: We might, like, make another push to garner some interest in the show.
3: Yeah. We're always considering that push. Right.
4: (laughs) If we knew how to do a push. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They're like, how many episodes are just these two dudes All of them. Yeah. (laughs) No guests. I was like looking up at one point in time how to market your podcast, what to do, how to get advertisers, things like that. Obviously, like, you know, with the knowledge that this would never be something we would do, but I was just interested to see what people do out there. A lot of emphasis on, you know, try to get your guests' audience involved, really, (laughs) you know, have a lot of guests and like have them plug their thing and go on people's shows and have them plug yours. I was like, Wow, okay, well, that's not happening. Well, that's just one way to do it. It's
3: not like sure. you have guests on My Favorite Murder.
4: No. So, we're basically at that level. Right. They were semi-famous, <laughs> though, at least. Okay, so, in
3: addition to the rating and the review, follow the show on Twitter, at GreatestPod. And now, let's talk about The Princess Bride, a classic from everyone's childhood- 87, directed by Rob Reiner. Yeah,
4: my second favorite Rob Reiner movie, I would say.
3: Well, he had a hell of a run. Yeah. He had an almost incomparable run. And it's funny that people don't really... Respect him? Yeah, think of Rob Reiner as this great director anymore, because most He's of his movies are pretty anonymous shit, now. Yeah. Some of them are shit, some of them are just really just under the radar. No one really even pays any okay, attention yeah. to them. But starting in 84 with This Is Spinal Tap... 85, The Sure Thing. 86, Stand By Me. Yes. 87, The Princess Bride. 89, back to
4: back. How about that? Stand By Me and Princess Bride.
3: Yeah. 89, When Harry Met Sally. 90, Misery. Wow. 92, A Few Good Men.
4: Yeah, there you go. That is a good run. Pretty unbelievable run.
3: And he jumped around in different genres, which a lot of directors won't do now. Sure, yeah. Because they're afraid. And he was going all over the place. And really doesn't get much credit now. Now he just basically responds to Donald Trump all day on Twitter. You're just like, Well, that's important (laughs) to somebody, I'm sure. So The Princess Bride is based on a novel by William Goldman. He adapted his own novel into the screenplay. What was
4: your first experience with this movie?
3: Well, I was going to ask you the same thing. Okay. It's one of those movies that belongs in that VHS universe for me that I saw a million times when I was younger. I don't remember the specific first time of okay. seeing it.
4: It's funny watching it on Criterion Blu-ray, which we both own, and I will yeah enjoy secretly this out.
3: was a back-to-back Criterion Club between this and oh, The wow. Graduate.
4: Yeah. So watching it though, I will say it does even on the the Criterion Blu-ray, which usually looks sharper than even a normal Blu-ray. It is very like grainy still, like it. Yeah. It, it does. It, it has that VHS look to it still. My first time seeing it, actually, I had no idea what this movie was. Had never even heard of it. In middle school, like seventh grade, in like our drama class, we watched it. Oh wow! The teacher was like, "Yeah, we're gonna watch the Princess Bride," and I'm like, "Oh my gosh! Like, what is this?" And (laughs) by like ten minutes into it, I was so in. (laughs) I was like, "I love this movie." (laughs) And like years later, I think like there was definitely some years that went by without me watching it at all, and then I see it for sale on DVD, at Walmart, where I bought many DVDs at the time, take it back to my house. I'm, like, trying to convince people that we need to watch this movie, The Princess Bride, and, you know, I'm getting a lot of, like, groans. Like, that sounds terrible. You know, you hear that <laughs> I'm name. surprised
3: so many people hadn't heard of it, but I guess you're, yeah. you're a bit younger than me. Yeah, I mean,
4: I wouldn't say it wasn't, like, a party full of people. It was probably, like, a couple people on a couch. Right. But, yeah. But then, you know, same thing. Like, they watched it, and they were like, this movie is awesome. <laughs>
3: It reminds me a lot of two other movies, both of which we've done on the show. Okay. The Goonies and Home Alone. Home Alone for a very specific reason to me, which is I don't always remember the beginning of the movie. Right. It's a movie that I've started in the middle, like on TV so many times, or a taped version or something. And it just jumps into it. And Yeah,
4: things happen pretty quickly in this movie. Yeah, the whole opening
3: part with... Wesley being a farm boy, I I never remember any of that. Even up until the eels. Oh yeah, the eels remind me of the octopus in the deleted part of the Goonies. Well, it's just this random weird
4: thing that I don't always remember. From the first time I saw it in the memory that carried on for me, like the first moment of the movie that I remember is her, you know, Princess Buttercup running off into the woods and like running into Vincini and Inigo. Right. And like, th- I remember that shot because it kind of looks strange, just like three dudes, like standing in the woods, three sort of odd looking dudes. Mm-hmm. But like everything that was before that, I didn't really remember from the first time that I saw it.
3: Yeah. It's interesting that we planned out to do this episode now, and it coincided with a post I saw on Reddit of somebody talking about the movie and how their familiarity with the film over years and years and years was with a version taped off of television which excluded a couple of key oh wow points of dialogue and that completely changed your perception of what is happening and That's I'm speaking to the moment when Prince Humperdinck tells Dugan that he had paid Visini yes. to kidnap Buttercup and this person had never seen that scene Right. And it completely changes your perception of everything.
4: Watching this movie again in sort of the midst of Game of Thrones going on, it kind of gives you a different perspective, too. (laughs) You're like, oh, yeah, all this politicking going on, little schemes being hatched.
3: Yeah, I mean, the film works as both a fairy tale and a spoof of a fairy tale, like a comedy at the same time. It has all of the elements and yet kind of is tongue-in-cheek and poking fun at them at the same time. Before we get into the actual movie itself, we should talk about Robin Wright as Buttercup.
4: Unbelievable. <laughs> described in Imagine the... Imagine b- this chick just living on a farm.
3: Yeah, described in the book as the most beautiful woman in the world. And yeah. <laughs> I think they found her in 1987. Sure. I mean, right. she looks unbelievable. She's so young, though. She was, I think, 19 when they started filming it.
4: Yeah. I I, I know, and it's you're just like, Wow. That's Jenny from Forrest Gump. Yeah. You know, she dies of AIDS. Yeah, well, I actually have heard that it's not AIDS. Oh, really? Because the That's baby didn't get AIDS. That's true. That's a good point. It was like
3: hepatitis or something oh, in the book. Oh, wow. okay. They, but they never say it in the movie. By
4: sharing a needle, maybe?
3: I don't know. I, I'm not a huge Forrest Gump fan. No, I mean, is neither. that like a controversial
4: take, the stay it's and age? It's not for me, but it's, I, it's, it's fine. I appreciate I don't hate it, it. it for being a classic. I very rarely think about watching it.
3: Yeah. There's a lot of bitter moments in it for me that I'm just like, "Eh, it's kind of a downer. It's very long. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Robin Wright and Carrie Elwes were smitten with each other during filming.
4: Uh, Well, why wouldn't you be smitten? Naturally helping their
3: chemistry in the movie. Elwes said that He, quote, couldn't concentrate on much of anything after that first encounter with Robin, (laughs) unquote. Who can
4: blame him? Yeah, I mean... (laughs) Makes a lot of sense. Another funny thing of... I've seen this movie a bunch of times. Never watched it with subtitles on until this most recent viewing. Had no idea that it was Wesley with a T. I always thought it was just Wesley.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure if that's a big deal. No. (laughs) I'm willing to just kind of let that go by. The names
4: in this movie... Yeah, they're a little weird. Princess Buttercup. I have a question for you. Do we need the movie to have the bookends and narration with Fred Savage and his grandpa? Or would this movie be fine to just be the fantasy spoof?
3: The idea of that comes from the original novel, which is kind of this... I don't even know how to explain it. It's this weird meta book where William Goldman is pretending that The Princess Bride was a novel that was read to him as a kid. And then when he finds the novel, years later, it's out of print. He tracks it down for his kid, fictional kid. He actually had two daughters, his fictional son.
4: Right. They weren't good enough to be. The book itself
3: turns out to be really long and boring. And he finds out that his grandfather had just been reading him the, quote, good parts. Okay. Okay. And so he presents to us his abridged version of S. Morgan The Princess Bride. Yeah. Parentheses, The Good Parts. When in truth, the whole thing is made up from beginning to end. It's not real. Right. But it's this very different take on a novel where the intro reads like a foreword, yet it's like 50 pages, where he's talking about his tracking this novel down and then, Giving it to his son, his son not being into it, and him finding out like, yeah, there is a lot of boring stuff in here about lineages and families, and it's basically like Gilder, <laughs> Michael Douglas's novel from Wonder Boys, where you're just like, what is all this? <laughs> yeah, but whatever. So that's where it comes from is this idea of it being something read from a grandfather to a grandson, that kind of a thing. They take it, they use it in this movie, I guess, to flesh it out a little bit. And also for some comedic elements. I do think that by including that and the Billy Crystal Carol Kane characters, you can't help but think of the never ending story.
4: For sure. Which we mentioned on that. Yeah, audio it's a wraparound that no one listened to.
3: <laughs> it's a wraparound story of someone reading a book and there's these two magical witch type characters right. that are very similar. I like it though. It's I'm into I, it. Fred Savage's acting debut, I'm pretty sure. Uh
4: how old? do you think the fred savage character is supposed to be 12 no less yeah probably
3: more like in the 10 9 10 okay
4: i gotcha your grandpa shows up with this novel and is gonna read it to you yeah not feeling that into it (laughs) well he wasn't no he got much like you
3: when you first watched the movie it's true you are that character
4: I was probably playing this MLB video game that he was playing. Actually, it wasn't even MLB. I, yeah, I definitely Gen- had that game. It generic was like, baseball. It was like
3: RBI baseball. Yeah. Okay. I had like RBI baseball 1, 2, and 3 on Nintendo. Okay, so before we jump in, in addition to Buttercup, we should mention Andre the Giant playing Fezzik. Over the summer, they did that HBO documentary Yeah, got Andre. to learn a little
4: bit about this movie on that documentary. Yeah, his bit.
3: back problems were so bad that they had to fake him holding people and right. I mean, different kinds of things.
4: Princess Buttercup looks like she weighs about ninety pounds in this movie, and he couldn't like handle her being like dropped into his arms, right?
3: Yeah, and they get around that with some different pulleys and yeah things Which, like that. But also, not
4: to be a downer, but it actually is just really sad the Andre the Giant stuff. Like he was just in like so much pain.
3: Yeah, pretty rough life, but this was like the highlight. I think for him of his life, he loved doing this movie. And I know I remember hearing stories about afterwards where he would bring a copy of this movie like everywhere with him and then like show it to all the other wrestlers. That's awesome. He was like so proud of being in this movie. And he seemed to have like such a great time doing
4: it. If I was ever in a movie, I'd be trying to make sure that like all the copies of it were destroyed. (laughs)
3: <laughs> the movie the documentary about this podcast yeah. that we're filming right now. <laughs> Too lame to kill themselves. <laughs> the story of the greatest moments of the everyone forever.
4: demanding they do. <laughs> Inconceivable.
0: You keep using the heart. I don't think it means what you think it means.
3: Okay, so you brought up the wraparound story with Fred Savage and Peter Falk. The first time the mom walks in. I'm always like, is that Demi Moore? And then it isn't. No. It looks like it from a distance though. It always tricks me. And I'm like, maybe it is. But yeah, it wasn't. Nev- but it never is. More None there, of the but...
4: times I watch it. <laughs> Not yet.
3: She's got kind of a weird coonskin cap hairdo. Did
4: you yeah. notice that? Her hair is like wild. Not sure if that's how I would have described it, but now that you So looks, eloquently she looks like Davy put it Crockett, way, right? <laughs> so initially
3: The young boy who's sick in bed with the flu or whatever in the winter is skeptical of his grandfather's story and doesn't really want to hear it,
4: but is. I guess. What's he going to do? Yeah, he doesn't have another option. He wants it to be about sports or. I'm just like, can't you read me like a magazine article? This book in your hand looks like pretty long. (laughs) Yeah.
3: So we jump into it. The origin of Buttercup and Wesley. He's a farm boy on her family farm. And every time she asked him, how to how he do came
4: something, to be this, we don't know.
3: No, we're just gonna jump into it. So she asked him to do a bunch of shit. She's actually kind of a bitch to
4: him. Oh at the yeah, beginning.
3: absolutely. It's a little wild, but like, you're willing
4: to go with it. Her tone, be. yeah.
3: <laughs> I'd be like, you better check that tone, on honey. Well,
4: I feel like it was always sexual, though. Yeah, it was. You know, and he always responds he knew, with "as you wish," it right? <laughs> Which I love that they were like,
3: what he was really saying was. I love you. is <laughs> <Yeah.
4: laughs> yeah. like, like, every time like a hot chick says something to you and you say nothing, the narration <laughs> is like, but what he was really saying was.
3: They fall in love pretty quick. This is all done rapid fire. They live in this country called Florin, which is not a real country. Yeah. And almost I was able to figure that out. Fred Savage is like, is this a kissing book? And he's throwing the brakes on, because it seems very- mushy at the beginning yeah that's not what a nine-year-old boy would be into no no although i have to feel like if he could see what buttercup looked like it'd be an awakening
4: that's true
3: (laughs) (laughs) the idea is wesley has no money and he wants to leave to seek his fortune which leads to this separation between the two in what can only be described as a fairly common trope for these types of stories Word reaches Buttercup of his demise. Yes, yes. It just it's something that seemed to happen in these kind of stories. It's like word travels and it reaches somebody. Wesley's been killed by the dread pirate Roberts. Right. Which is based off of a real pirate named Roberts, who was considered like the most successful pirate. I like the
4: dread pirate Roberts storyline and kind of what's revealed about that later. Now, if you're Wesley, are you really willing to leave this farm?
3: No. Oh God, no. Yeah. I mean, how could you
4: How could you risk it? You're taking a huge chance with that. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot
3: of town folks sniffing around that farm.
4: Absolutely. You know, if I'm Wesley also, it's like, and I do go off and do this, it's like, I'd rather be dead than survive and know, you know, that there's like another dude in the picture.
3: Of course, her reaction is she will never love again, much like Lady Gaga in A Star is Born. Oh, yeah. We cut to five years later, and the great Prince Humperdinck is in town, played by Chris Sarandon. And he basically just gets to pick. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I, mean, I pick whoever I want, and that's going to be my wife. It's
4: good to be king.
3: Right. And so he announces Buttercup as his bride-to-be. She's not really feeling it, but she knows that Wesley's not coming back, so you know, what, what other am I gonna choices do? does she yeah, have?
4: Yeah, I'm numb to the world at this point. We never meet her family, ever. Yeah, that's true. So she's I would have just... been interested to see what mom was looking like. Yeah. <laughs>
3: I think doesn't Robin Wright play like Wonder Woman's mom now?
4: Yeah. That's interesting. That's or her aunt, one of the two. Okay. So she goes out
3: on her daily ride, which is like her only highlight in her life, and as you mentioned earlier, she meets Vizini, Inigo Montoya, and Fezzik, played by Wallace
4: Shawn, Mandy Patakin and Andre the Giant, respectively. <laughs> the funny thing about Mandy Patakin for me was I knew him from this movie and then nothing else until I saw the show Homeland when that was first Yeah, Sun yeah, TV. he's on Homeland. I think it's
3: appropriate to just say it now since we're being introduced to their characters. Wallace Shawn is like a tour de force in this movie. Right.
4: Off the charts. Just screaming every time he talks.
3: When I watched some of the bonus features on this Criterion Blu-ray, they made it pretty clear that... He was not even remotely what they were picturing for this character. Oh, really? And he just like showed up and auditioned and was so hilarious. And they were just like, yep, this is what we want then. (laughs) And he's just, it's so funny. The stuff that he says is very comedic and just odd. Yeah. Where he's just like, unemployed (laughs) in Greenland. (laughs) Just always yelling up at Andre, which is so funny because he's so small (laughs) and bald yeah it's odd looking uh a short but fun appearance yeah he's more like the mid-level bad guy of the movie right but he definitely entertains during his time on oh yeah
5: we are but poor lost circus performers is there a village nearby
2: there is nothing nearby not for miles
5: then there will be no one to hear you scream What is that you're ripping? It's fabric from the uniform of an army officer of Gilder. Who is Gilder? The country across the sea, the sworn enemy of Florin. Go! Once the horse reaches the castle, the fabric will make the prince suspect the Gilderians have abducted his love. When he finds their body dead on the Gilder frontier, his suspicions will be totally confirmed.
1: You never say anything about killing anyone.
5: I've hired you to help me start a war. It's a prestigious line of work, with a long and glorious tradition.
1: I just don't think it's right, killing an innocent girl.
5: Am I going mad? Or did the word THINK escape your lips? You were not hired for your brains, you hippopotamic landmass! I agree with physic. Oh, the thought has spoken! What happens to her is not truly your concern. I will kill her, and remember this, never forget this! When I found you, you were so slobbering drunk, you couldn't buy brandy. And you, friendless, brainless, helpless, hopeless. Do you want me to send you back to where you were? Unemployed in Greenland!
3: So they kidnap Buttercup, and the whole idea here is that they're going to frame the situation to look as if the rival country, the sworn enemy to Florin, Gilder, has murdered the princess-to-be.
4: Yes. Why these three are starting a war? Yeah, well, why anybody
3: wants to start a war is never really that clear to me. That's true. It's a recurring thing. <laughs> this war with Gilder that everybody seems to want. I don't know why they want it, and I don't know why it's important to
4: convince yeah, the townspeople to who want Who benefits it. from this war? Yeah,
3: that's a good question. Yeah, the, it's like some Dick Cheney-level shit. It's like... Prince Humperdinck owns some stock in Halliburton, eh. and they're, <laughs> they're going to be building like the cannons and <laughs> whatever yeah. else they use. I don't know swords and shit. Almost immediately, though, once they get on the boat and they're taking Buttercup away, it definitely positions Inigo and Fezic as not really being that bad.
4: Well, that's true.
3: They're yeah. almost immediately like, "Well, what do you mean we're we're not going to kill this girl?" Like they're not into this plan at all, and they're
4: fun characters right away. I mean.
3: Once the rhyming. they
4: get on the boat. The rhyming, I mean, I I think I lost it the first time I heard Andre the Giant say I only dog paddle.
3: <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to understand what Andre's saying.
4: So, you know, I'll point <laughs> out, for sure, I'll point out that I watched this in school. We watched it over, like, a few days. So, like... That was the best. Yeah. The multi-day oh, yeah. movie It's school. I know, it's like the teacher really putting in quite an effort here. <laughs> That'd be, like, me if I was, I was a like teacher. But I was, like, all for it, Yeah. So after the first day, I think we only got through the Cliffs of Insanity scene, the fight with Inigo and then Fezig, like basically I think that was where it cut off and I was just like I love these characters. Yeah. Like I was so in on those three main dudes, like them and the man the man in black. I was like I hope that they're in it more.
3: Right, and you cuz you don't know at that you time. You didn't even know that the man in black was
4: Wesley. I it was not revealed yet. No. <laughs> Put on a mask you just, and you have no idea. Yeah, that you guy didn't is. know.
3: They're traveling by boat. Wallace Shawn keeps yelling inconceivable. Inigo's like, We're being followed by another boat.
4: Yeah. <laughs> you keep on using that word. I <laughs> do not think it means what you think it means. I kind of forgot
3: how many great lines oh, for Inigo sure. has. Yeah. The part I'm I know we're kind of jumping all over the place, but yeah, fuck yeah. it. It's the part when up. Wesley first is waking up and they're hiding behind that wall to look at the castle to see how many people are coming and he's like let me explain no there is too much let me sum up (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty good while they're distracted by this other boat buttercup makes a jump off the boat it turns out to be eel infested waters shrieking eels actually oh yeah
4: there's a lot of strange animals in this universe sure
3: it's a fairy tale world physic and Inigo don't swim they don't want to get her Eventually, they they do grab her out of the water, and Fezzik, like, reaches in and punches an eel. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, you have to stay with us or die with the eels, and then she's just like, fuck it. I guess I'll have to stay with them. Yeah. Tough choice, though. The other boat continues its pursuit. They reach the Cliffs of Insanity. Fezzik's strength
4: is able to carry all of them up. That's a fun scene. You're pulling up to the Cliffs of Insanity, and now you're thinking, like, the wall from Game of Thrones, just like a giant ass, you know? Yeah huge shot like when did wesley or the man in black at this point come into the mix here like what was his plan was he heading he must have known about
3: buttercup's daily ride as well yeah and saw her being kidnapped
4: okay i don't know this was when he was going to make his move and then she gets kidnapped
3: right and it threw a wrench into everything
4: yeah well but i guess the timing worked out well for him yeah
3: because vizini was going to kill her i guess it's kind of a dark thing that's never really yeah. addressed in a PG movie. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I mean, this bitch was going to be dead. <laughs> 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 they arrive via boat to the Best Buy parking lot. That's... They're just
4: strangling her. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So they get to the top of the cliff, and Wesley's, like, trailing him. Obviously, yeah, he's, he's p- they're being gaining. pursued up the rope. This is, would be a crazy-ass rope climb. Oh, yeah. I mean, insane. <laughs> <laughs> so they leave Inigo. which i always think his name is inigo but at one point fred savage says inigo but i'm I'm used to hearing him say inigo mentoya no
3: well yeah i mean he has an accent i don't know
4: it doesn't really matter so (laughs) are we quibbling about this he's gonna stay back to i guess uh have a duel and sort of Well, we should
3: say like this they're being pursued by a masked man yes who until you get like a close up of his face, you don't really know for sure who it is. I mean, I think most of us are able to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I'm saying, okay. you don't really see it until you, it's up close. But he's wearing a Zorro esque mask. Yes. And now the reason why Reiner wanted to cast Carrie always was he looked like the guys that had played Robin Hood and Zorro. Well, yeah, and those he is, isn't he in, in the Robin
4: Hood Men in Tights.
3: Yeah, which is kind of sad. Yeah.
4: What it was only like a. Out?
3: It was only like five years after this. Okay, yeah. Kind of rough. He's stuck well, around though.
4: Isn't it super weird that he's like in the first Saw movie? Yeah. I remember when I saw Saw. Obviously, I did not recognize him. But like when I saw, check the credits after the movie. Yeah. These were like the days where I would see a movie and then I'd like you know get on IMDb on my like parents' computer in their <laughs> basement. And like, look up the actors. You're like Saw. I, I was like, I need to know every actor that's in every movie. You're like
3: Danny Glover.
4: I was like, holy shit, that dude from The Princess Bride like cut his hand off or whatever?
3: Yeah, and now he's going to be in season three of Stranger Things. So how about that? They cut the rope. The masked man is then clinging to the cliff, climbing up. Definitely a lot of comedic elements being thrown in here. If I mean, Vizzini is hilarious enough, but now this whole premise of... Inigo or Indigo waiting for him to reach the top just to kill him. He's like, I will send a rope down. He's like, well, I can't yeah, trust you.
4: <laughs> I love, I do love that part. He's like, what if I gave you my word as a Spaniard? He's like, no good. <laughs> I've known too many Spaniards.
3: Vizzini and Fezzik, along with Buttercup, advance, leaving Indigo behind. Eventually, he does end up helping him up the cliff.
4: Right, which is sort of funny because it's like the intent is to kill him once he reaches the top.
3: So obviously, as we mentioned, the audience is now fully aware of who the Masked Man is. However, you do have to remember that reading the story or hearing the story, you're not being told that yeah, yeah. necessarily. It's very Shakespeare-esque. You know how like in right. Shakespeare, somebody just dresses up like someone else and somehow they're them and no one knows? And You're like, well, it's a play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if this is a
4: movie, it would be like, what? It's like in She's the Man. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's just buying it. Yeah. And this is one of those things where it's just fun and you're starting to like Inigo more because he's not only throwing him the rope to let him up, but then he gets to the top and the masked man is just like, all right, well, let's fight now like we're supposed to do. And Inigo's like, no, no, rest a minute, you know, and they they tell the whole backstory of Inigo's like revenge quest that he's been on for 20 years.
3: So Inigo's father was a sword maker who created a sword for this evil guy. And then the guy refused to pay the price for it, so the guy kills his father. And this man had six fingers on his right hand.
4: Which is an interesting defect. <laughs>
3: yeah, creepy. Yeah. Indigo, who was like just like 11 years old, challenges the man. The man defeats him but leaves him alive and scars his face a little bit as a reminder. What I always wondered, though, because as this story's being told to Wesley... Indigo reveals the sword that was made, and it's this great sword.
4: Yeah, the guy didn't take the sword. Yeah, if he
3: killed his father, why wouldn't he have taken the sword? Yeah. It doesn't doesn't make make, any sense. No,
4: it doesn't. When you see the swords that they use in this movie, too, they seem like toys. (laughs) They don't quite look like the steel that they're... It it doesn't look like Valyrian steel.
3: No, these are definitely fencing swords. Yes. Not like just big battle swords. Right. It's a different kind of sword.
4: I got it. Do you? Yeah, I don't know. It's like so the this Count was, of Monte Cristo.
3: So they choreographed this huge sword fight between the two. It's like the longest on-screen sword fight ever. Oh wow! Elways and Patakian do most of it themselves.
4: That's There's, pretty
3: cool. I think maybe that part where they're like flipping over that bar is like the only time that, <laughs> that it's not bar, them. That bar,
4: which is completely impractical.
3: <laughs> yeah, just in the middle of these rocks. Although they're that doing, see, like, it did seem kind of like a structure. Yeah. So I could maybe buy it. I don't know if they were putting steel into houses, but... It could be. Formerly, there seemed to be maybe like a lighthouse or something. There was something
4: there, yeah. It's an embutment.
3: Eventually, the masked man wins the duel. He knocks Indigo unconscious so he can keep going. I don't know if there's really much to say about the sword fight itself. I mean, it goes on forever. They both start left-handed. They both (laughs) reveal they're not actually (laughs) left-handed. It's pretty dumb, but funny. Once again, Vizini yelling, inconceivable. The masked man is in pursuit. So he has his giant Fezzik do it his way, quote unquote. And Fezzik's like, well, what's my way? And he's like, sneak up on him and hit him with a rock. Yes. Fezzik's like, well, that doesn't really seem very sporting. Yes,
4: <laughs> my way is not very sportsman-like.
3: Instead of doing that, Fezzik challenges the masked man to a hand-to-hand combat fight, which leads to... Wesley getting on his back and choking him out. It reminded me of a match between... A sleeper hold. Yeah. Bailey we and all recognize Nia the move. Jax. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Back in the day. The oft-utilized David versus Goliath type match. Right. So he puts Fezzik to sleep and tells him to dream of large women. And he <laughs> continues his pursuit. Before we have him reach Vizzini, though, we see now that Prince Humperdinck is also following up behind.
4: Yeah. The master tracker. Prince Humperdinck.
3: Evidently. He's accompanied by his right-hand man, Count Rugen, played oddly by Christopher Guest. Wow. Who appeared in This Is Spinal Tap, That's a Rob Reiner movie, yeah. but would then go on to direct some of the best comedies of the 90s and He looks the 2000s. like really old in this movie, too. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Maybe it's just he's like- He's an older the, guy. I yeah. mean, he might have already been- He was, I mean, he was probably close to 40 by that point. Okay. I don't know. He was already with Jamie Lee Curtis, though, because in the bonus features they talked about everyone staying at the same hotel, and Jamie Lee Curtis was, like, cooking up meals in, like, a crock pot or something. I don't know. It seemed like a good time at that hotel Sounds like everyone was staying at. Whatever the case may be with Humperdinck and Rugen, though, there's an odd amount of emphasis on this Gilder narrative because Humperdinck's trotting it out in front of everyone and really pushing it, (laughs) which he will continue to do. So now it comes to what I think is probably the most memorable scene in yes. the movie. It's definitely the funniest. The battle of wits between Vizini and the masked man for the princess to the death.
5: So it is down to you, and it is down to me. If you wish you're dead, by all means, keep moving forward. Let me explain. There's nothing to explain. You're trying to kidnap what I've rightfully stolen. Perhaps an arrangement can be reached? There will be no arrangement, and you're killing her. Well, if there can be no arrangement, then we are at an impasse. I'm afraid so. I can't compete with you physically, and you're no match for my brains. You're that smart? Let me put it this way. Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Yes. Morons really in
0: that case I challenge you to a battle of wits for the princess to the death I accept good then pour the wine Hail this, but do not touch.
5: I smell nothing.
0: What you do not smell is called Iocane powder. It is odorless, tasteless, dissolves instantly in liquid and is among the more deadly poisons known to man. Huh. the poison? The battle of wits has begun. It ends when you decide and we both drink
5: and find out who is right and who is dead. But it's so simple. All I have to do is divine from what I know of you. Are you the sort of man who would put the poison into his own goblet or his enemies? Now, a clever man would put the poison into his own goblet... because he would know that only a great fool would reach for what he was given. I'm not a great fool, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. But you must have known I was not a great fool. You would have counted on it, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. You've made your decision, then? (laughs) Not remotely, because Iocane comes from Australia, as everyone knows. And Australia is entirely peopled with criminals. And criminals are used to having people not trust them as you are not trusted by me, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. Truly, you have a dizzying intellect. Wait till I get going! Where was I? australia yes australia and you must have suspected i would have known the powder's origin so i can clearly not choose the wine in front of me you're just stalling now you'd like to think that wouldn't you you've beaten my giant which means you're exceptionally strong so you could have put the poison in your own goblet trusting on your strength to save you so i can clearly not choose the wine in front of you but you've also bested my spaniard Which means you must have studied. And in studying, you must have learned that man is mortal. So you would have put the poison as far from yourself as possible. So I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me.
0: You're trying to trick me into giving away something. It won't work.
5: It has worked. You've given everything away. I know where the poison is. Then make your choice. I will. And I choose. What in the world can that be? What? Where?
0: I don't see anything.
5: Oh, have I could have sworn I saw something, I, uh, no matter. <laughs> What's so funny? I'll, I'll tell you in a minute. First, let's drink. Me from my glass, and you from yours. <laughs> you guessed wrong. You only think I guessed wrong. That's what's so funny. I switched glasses when your back was turned. Ha-ha, <laughs> you fool. You fell victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia, but only slightly less well-known is this. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs>
2: Who are you?
0: I'm no one to be trifled with. That is all you ever need know.
2: to think. All that time it was shortcut that was poisoned.
0: They were both poisoned. I spent the last few years building up an immunity to Iocane powder.
4: Never go in with a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> I just don't understand Vizini at all in this.
3: He has the princess and he has a knife to her throat. Why would he agree to any of this? Especially... A game that he's not even... In- Agree to it. He's pitching it. Well, he didn't pitch the specific game, True. though. True. Okay, yeah. This is something that the mass man comes up with. He takes the two goblets of wine, hides them behind his back, or turns around, claims that he puts the poison in one of them. Right. And it's up to Vizzini to choose which one to drink from. It's like, A, who would ever actually drink from it? Just pretend. Yeah. You both just keep pretending. <laughs> Forever. Yeah. B. Why would he trust anything about this? I mean, it's just—it's a dumb move because he's a dumb man, right? <laughs> so Vizini's dead because the masked man puts the poison in both goblets. I do love
4: the resolution to this. Yeah, <laughs> the fact that he spent years building up a tolerance to Iocane powder. <laughs> yeah. One of the kind of like just quick little funny parts to me is like when he's explaining Iocane powder and how it's like tasteless, odorless, or whatever. And then Humperdinck picks up the glass and sniffs it and is like, Iocane powder. I'd bet my life on it.
3: <laughs> I like whenever he's explaining it to Vizzini. Vizzini's like, hmm. He just does that like weird, hmm. Yeah,
1: <laughs>
3: He's like not such, getting it. such a pompous ass. <laughs> the masked man takes off Buttercup's blindfold, which it's not really clear why she was suddenly wearing... A blindfold in this scene anyway because when we last saw them with Fezzik running up the side of the hill she was not wearing a blindfold so they sit at this table and he puts a blindfold on her for some reason what yeah, can't she
4: see really no reason for it they're just in like vast nothing countryside well it doesn't matter I mean what can't she see no She's i know. gonna be
3: the, his plan is to kill her yeah so uh, it, it's bizarre but she doesn't recognize Wesley underneath the mask, and it's just like, is she a dim bulb? I mean, what's going on here yeah, with her? You
4: could, who else would have a mustache like that? <laughs> it's just very... Well, he didn't have the mustache at the beginning. I know, but I think you could kind of tell where it was headed <laughs> with that facial hair. Humperdinck
3: has advanced to the spot where the giant fell, still believing in the Gilder narrative. Yeah,
4: the masked man and Buttercup definitely get off to sort of an aggressive start here yeah they're kind of bickering back and forth it's like i mean really he did just save you (laughs) although he is kind of giving her some shit yeah
3: buttercup's being dragged around the countryside by wesley who she still doesn't recognize she believes her captor to be the dread pirate roberts the man who killed her love so i mean she's giving him shit for that yeah and he confirms that this is his identity right but all the while, he's basically testing her and seeing if she actually loves Prince Humperdinck or what. So I guess word has reached him of things that have gone on in his absence, and so he's oh, not yeah. sure what the truth is. Right. So he's seeing if she not only loves the prince, but if she loved previously. He wants like all these details. It's kind of sick stuff. He's definitely like manipulating someone oh, yeah. that doesn't know what's going on. I
4: certainly recognize that move. He's te- <laughs> he's teasing her. He's
3: telling the story of murdering this farm boy that she loves, yes, it's kind of rough, and he at one point he does like raise his hand to like slap her, which I mean, I guess he wasn't gonna do that,
4: but yeah, it's still a, even a little... putting that thought out there though is kind of
3: <laughs> eventually she pushes him down a hill just as she's saying, "You can die for all I care, and as he's like falling down the hill, he says, "As you wish,
4: just and an insane tumble down this hill, yeah,
3: I mean, it's comedic right because he says this then it finally clicks home for her that it's wesley so then she throws herself down the same hill and they both go tumbling down can you move at all
2: move you're alive if you want i can fly i
0: told you i would always come for you why didn't you wait for me well you were dead Death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while.
2: I will never doubt again. There will
3: never be a need. Some famous bits of dialogue here where he's like, death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while.
4: Yeah. Some mushy stuff. That's okay. (laughs) We'll take it.
3: I think Fred Savage interjects here pretty soon. is like, we'll just get to the fire swamp, please. Yeah, skip past this. So the fire swamp is where they're going to go to elude Prince Humperdinck, who's on their trail, has fire eruptions.
4: That's a, It's a lot of like legends behind the fire swamp. It's a lot of the Judd from Pet Cemetery, like, you don't want to go down that road <laughs> type. <laughs> That's the type of place they're headed.
3: Yeah, I think she says something to the effect of, we'll never survive the fire swamp. And he says, you're only saying that because no one ever has before it. Right. They have fire eruptions, something called lightning sand, which I guess is just fast working quicksand. Yes. And the R O U S's. Rodents of unusual size. Yeah, which we don't meet for a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, they come into play. We've certainly
4: met some in real life. (laughs) (laughs) Would like
3: to never again. The fire swamp was like our old kitchen. Right. Before we meet the rodents, though, Wesley explains how he inherited the moniker of Dread Pirate Roberts. Basically, he was taken prisoner by this guy and apprenticed under him, and then find out that the Dread Pirate Roberts was never just one specific person. It was something that was like passed down. It's like Doctor Who. It's strange, though, because the implication is that the Dread Pirate Roberts never leaves any survivors. So was Wesley like running around killing people?
4: Unclear. It's one of those things where the name carries a lot of weight, so you're able to kind of intimidate people and bluff people.
3: Then they do end up getting attacked by a rodent of unusual size after Wesley pulls Buttercup out of the lightning sand. This whole fight goes on and on with this rodent that's basically a little person in a costume. Yeah, I mean, it looks terrible. During the whole thing, Buttercup is just completely useless. Well, He's struggling and, like, almost... He's getting, like, ripped to shreds. She's not helping. She's not helping. Then it goes off of him and it's running towards her and he has to, like, dive over and pull it by the tail.
4: She's still not really contributing much. Listen, Buttercup didn't spend her life preparing (laughs) for moments like these, okay? She's just a pretty face. She's not bringing a lot
3: else to the table. I mean, she couldn't tell the masked man was Wesley and then... This now? She brings plenty to the table. (laughs) Somehow they make it out of the fire swamp, only to be stopped by Prince Humperdinck, surrounded by all of his men. It doesn't look good for Wesley, so Buttercup decides to make a deal, which is that Wesley will be allowed to return to his ship safely if Buttercup goes along with Humperdinck and marries him as planned. But, of course... Wesley's actually going to be taken to the pit of despair. Yeah.
4: I, I don't love this move by Buttercup.
3: Yeah, she's, she's pretty naive in addition to every other bad trait I've just gone <laughs> yeah. over.
4: I mean, really pretty quick to just sort of give up on this whole plan.
3: I do think that you can maybe cut her some slack here because it's possible that to this point she doesn't know that Prince Humperdinck is evil. That's true. He's maybe never done anything And, in front you know, of her. she's
4: really thinking okay, Wesley will just come for me again.
3: Yeah, we need to leave him alive. Right. Because I guess she's getting into the perspective of Humperdinck, which is his bride-to-be has been kidnapped. Vizzini and Fezek and Inigo are not even mentioned, so yeah. this just looks bad for Wesley. I have to make sure that this situation doesn't escalate. We
4: don't want like a beheading or anything. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to come back from that. After
3: Humperdinck and Buttercup ride off, it's revealed to Wesley that Count Dugan,
4: Christopher Guest,
3: is the six-fingered man.
4: Yeah. So the entry right before he's increases. knocked out, he says someone's looking for you. Wesley's taken to
3: the pit of despair, which is like in the middle of the woods. It's a secret tree entrance. Pretty There's like cool an albino involved. <laughs> yeah. It's alluded to that Wesley is going to be hooked up to the machine, which is some sort of a torture device. Right.
4: But they're nursing him back to full health first.
3: Yeah, they want him to be in full health before they start torturing him to death. No
4: (laughs) reason why he shouldn't be in full health, though all he did was get hit on the head.
3: Yeah, that's true, but he did get attacked by the rat. That's what they're cleaning. Okay, yes. Back in reality, when the grandfather reads the following dream sequence, which has the sick king dying and Buttercup and Humperdinck marrying immediately...
4: Oh, one of my favorite just completely random character appearances ever in a movie. This woman who just yells, boo. Well, before
3: we get to her, okay. little Fred Savage gets so angry at his grandfather oh, for yeah. messing up the story, quote right. unquote, because he can't believe Buttercup didn't marry Wesley. And watching this now, it's so funny how much this reminds me of fans of things now. Oh, yeah. Whether it's Game of That's Thrones. That's not right. That's not how I wanted the story to go. Star Wars. Oh, boy. Batman, Marvel, whatever it is. It's like these people that get into these hive mindsets online and start complaining about everything and ruining it and just taking it way too seriously. Just his terminology he uses here about messing up the story and that isn't how it is. (laughs) And this, of course, he's never read the story. He has no idea how it is. And it's just like, well, that's how. (laughs) Kid. (laughs) This was... This was a look into the future of being a fan of things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, t- tell us about this woman in the It's dream just who sequence.
4: hasn't wanted to be this person at a wedding? Just yelling boo. <laughs> a wedding?
3: It's not at the wedding. <laughs> well, it's after.
4: Yeah, it's a public event sort of announcing.
3: Queen Buttercup. Yes. Yes. Queen of Refuse. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean,
3: I will, I'll pull the curtain back a little bit before we Please. planned out. Doing this episode, I definitely considered using the clip of her booing as, like, an ending clip. Oh, for sure. It is one of my favorite
4: moments in the whole movie. (laughs) The king died that very night.
2: And before the following dawn, Buttercup and Humperdinck were married. And at noon, she met her subjects again, this time as their queen. My father's
5: final words were...
2: Hold it, hold it, Grandpa. You read that wrong. She doesn't marry Humperdinck, she marries Wesley. I'm just sure of it. After all that Wesley did for her, if she didn't marry him, it wouldn't be fair. Well, who says life is fair? Where is that written? Life isn't always fair. I'm telling you, you're messing up the story. Now get it right. Do you want me to go on with this? Yes. All right, then. No more interruptions. At noon, she met her subjects again this time as their queen.
5: My father's final words were, love her as I loved her, and there will be joy. I present to you your queen, Queen Buttercup.
2: Why do you do this?
1: Because you had
2: love in your hands, and you gave it up. But they would have killed Wesley if I hadn't done it. Your true love lives, and you marry another. True love saved her in the fire swamp, and she treated it like garbage. And that's what she is, the Queen of Refuse. So bow down to her if you want. Bow to her, bow to the Queen of Slime, the Queen of Filth, the Queen of Putrescence.
1: Boo! Boo! Rubbish! Filth! Slime! Muck! Boo! Boo! Boo!
2: It was ten days till the wedding. The king still lived. But Buttercup's nightmares
3: were growing steadily worse.
2: See? Didn't I tell you she'd never marry that rotten humperdink?
4: Yes, you're very smart.
5: Shut
3: up. Yeah, and you know what? It's just a dream and so it's okay for Buttercup and of course we all love her. She's the most beautiful woman in the world. Oh yeah. She kind of deserved a little bit of this though to get taken down a little bit.
4: I think so. She
3: fucked up plenty of times on the I'd previous say. sequence. Yeah. So Buttercup marches herself into Humperdinck's room or whatever and it makes her declaration. And I love that she's like if you tell me I must marry you in 10 days, please believe I will be dead by morning. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely had some chicks in my life who have said similar things. (laughs) (laughs) So they cut this deal where Humpernick is going to send his fastest ships, his four fastest ships in all directions, to try to track down the Dread Pirate Roberts, who is Wesley, to tell him to come get Buttercup. And she's such a naive fool still that she's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And if he doesn't come, basically, she'll marry.
4: Please consider me as an alternative. To suicide. (laughs) I'm sure you'll, given time, you'll grow to love me, which was always, like, just something you could use to convince any unwilling. It's just so dark. Yeah. But a good point,
3: though. As... Humperdinck and Rugen are going to the woods, I guess. Rugen's going to go down to start the torturing on Wesley. This is the reveal that I mentioned earlier. Humperdinck hired Vizini, and now that Vizini has failed, he'll just go ahead and kill Buttercup himself on their wedding night, once again blaming Gilder so that the townspeople will demand that they go to war. Yeah. Never explain why war is so important or why he even cares what the townspeople want
4: what's supposed to be on the line in this movie like who cares i don't know why I mean, does he want to kill buttercup yeah that's, <laughs> I, is that is the only no way he can come, way come way up with a war
3: yeah well i guess by this point you're kind of like well it makes sense that he would want to kill her she yeah. definitely doesn't want to marry him right
4: <laughs>
3: but it seemed like he was gonna have her she killed doesn't seem anyway. like
4: the most fun person to have around the castle yeah, she's kind of a drag.
3: Dugan starts Wesley on the machine, which is like this whole suction pump thing, powered by like r- falling water. Very medieval looking. Unclear as to what it's even really doing.
4: Yeah, it took him a lifetime to put this machine together. Yeah, he mentions at one point. There's all these different levels. Imagine on the being machine. dedicated to a torture machine for that long. I don't need to imagine. I was it. gonna say. <laughs> He puts it at the lowest level, which
3: is one, which sucks one year of Wesley's life away, which is kind of a cool gimmick to throw into a movie like this, which is mostly aimed towards younger people and kids, and they're going to buy into this whole thing. It's a scary thing and a new thing that no one had ever really thought up. Okay, So you're just kind of like, wow, that's wild. I remember my imagination as a youngster definitely running wild with some of the things in this movie.
4: Oh, yeah. You're kind of like, whoa, what? Definitely the idea of taking allotted time away from your life. Yeah.
3: It's such a weird idea, because yeah. then you're like, well, what if you were supposed to die young at, like, 39? And so it's was like, how would it know?
4: It was like that thing where they'd be like, well, every time you smoke a cigarette, it takes five minutes away from your life. And I was like, okay, I feel like I could smoke a decent amount of cigarettes, son. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's really accurate. Yeah. That scientific fact about <laughs> cigarettes taking yeah. five minutes away. Yeah. I don't know how they're
3: working that math. Right. Out. Humperdinck orders a brute squad to clean out Thieves Forest before his wedding to Buttercup. This is another little... weird plot point. Yeah, I'm never really sure why he's doing this. Ultimately, it, it reunites it's some, Fezzik and a Indigo. A way to
4: get yeah those two back in the mix.
3: But if he's planning on killing Buttercup himself, is this just I, maybe it's just like a show? I guess he's planning the idea into his security's head that Gilder is sending assassins
4: could be it's interesting that they play this whole thing up with Inigo obviously you know he's this huge failure now from the the last mission and he's drunk but like the idea that he's stuck on going back to the beginning like they had this backup plan right if things go wrong go back to the beginning it just seems what what was going to happen at the beginning.
3: I guess he thought that Vizzini would come find him. Yeah. I don't know. Fezzik tells Indigo
4: of Rugen being the six fingered man. How does he know that? I don't know. Because he was hired to work on the Brute Squad? I don't know. Something that happens off screen.
3: Yeah. So this is the first of a couple of off screen events that never factor really are in, explained, but factor in pretty heavily. Yeah, because it provides the necessary motivation for Indigo to A, sober up and get revived but be need the mask go man. through this whole thing yeah so fezzik revives indigo indigo decides that they need to have the man in black wesley to storm the castle successfully buttercup berates humperdinck when she realizes that there was never an attempt made to find wesley humperdinck, humperdinck just grabs her by the arm and throws her into a room it's just like <laughs> shut <laughs> locks up locks
4: the door yeah it's
3: an odd scene going on at that castle oh, a lot yeah. of tension in the right. air Out of anger and jealousy, Humperdinck runs to the pit of despair, goes down in it, cranks the machine as far as it will go, torturing Wesley literally to death. Well, what we think is to death. Yeah. And his screams are heard all over Florin. Somehow Indigo recognizes it. I don't even think Buttercup realized that it was Wesley, but Indigo's like the man in black. (laughs) (laughs) That's the real romance going on. I guess through just magic of the plot. Okay. Indigo and Fezzik walk through the woods, end up kind of almost to where vaguely in the area, and they find this albino guy that I guess that somehow they know is the guy. And so, like, all right, this must be close to where the man in black is. And Fezzik accidentally knocks that guy out or kills him or something. Yeah. They don't know how to get into the pit of
4: despair. Indigo has to rely on, you know, his father's spirit to guide his sword.
3: Right. Leaps of logic, basically, just to get us to this moment.
4: Yeah. We really don't even need all of it. I would have been fine with Fezzik just accidentally opening this door in the tree by leaning against it. So all
3: of this only to find Wesley already dead. Yeah. Luckily, Inigo knows of a guy named Miracle Max.
4: Right. Which is a handy thing to have. Much like, again, with the never-ending story thing, it's just like, when you have a luck dragon, anything is possible- When you know a miracle worker. Right. Don't count anyone out.
3: So Miracle Max is played by Billy Crystal, and his wife is played by Carol Kane. One of the
4: best on-screen couples of all time, maybe. (laughs) Sure.
2: Sir? Huh? We're in a terrible rush. Don't rush me, Sonny. You rush a miracle, man, you get rotten miracles. You got money? Sixty-five. I never worked for so little, except once, and that was a very noble cause.
1: This isn't sir, his wife is crippled. children are on the brink of starvation.
2: Are you a rotten liar? I need him to help avenge my father. Murdered these 20 years. Your first story was better. Where's that bellows cram He probably owes you money, huh? Well, I'll ask him. He's dead, he can't talk. Ooh, look who knows so much, huh? Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. Now, mostly dead is slightly alive. Now, all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. So important! What you got here? That's worth living
0: for. True love. True love. You heard him. You could not ask for a more noble cause than that.
2: Sonny, yes, true love is the greatest thing in the world, except for a nice M.L.T. A mutton lettuce and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomato is ripe. It's so perky. I love that. But that's not what he said. He distinctly said, to blave. And as we all know, to blave means to bluff. Huh? So you're probably playing cards, and he cheated. Liar! 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 Get back, witch! i'm your wife but after what
5: you just said i'm not even sure i want to be that anymore
2: you never had it so good
5: to love he said to love max don't say like another God. word valerie he's afraid ever since prince humperdinck fired him his confidence is shattered why'd
2: you say that name you promised me that you would never say that name
5: what Humphrey. Humperdinck! Humperdinck! Shtiegin!
2: Humperdinck, 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 I'm not listening! Love lies expiring, and you don't have the
5: decency to say why. You won't help.
2: Nobody's here, nothing.
5: Humperdinck, Humperdinck! This
2: is Buttercup's true love. If you heal him, he will stop Humperdinck's wedding. Shut up! Wait, wait. i make him better, the office?
1: Humiliations galore.
2: Ha, ha, ha! I did a lick told nation. That is a noble cause. Give me the 65. I'm on the job.
0: That's a miracle pill.
2: The chocolate coating makes it go down easier, but you have to wait 15 minutes for full potency. And you shouldn't go in swimming after for at least what? An, an hour. Yeah, an a hour. A good hour. Yeah. Thank you for everything. Okay.
5: Bye-bye, boys. Have
3: fun storming the castle.
5: Think
2: it'll work?
3: It would take a miracle. Bye-bye. Bye. Miracle Max reveals that Wesley's only mostly dead. Yeah. And it just so happens that he has his own axe to grind with Prince Humperdinck as he was <laughs> he, fired. Right. Conveniently. Must be a lot of bad miracles. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that the king of Florin takes a real backseat to the whole narrative. We see the king later, and he's like this real old guy. Yeah. He actually reminds me of the guy that we're comparing Billy Crystal's character to in The NeverEnding Story. It may even be that guy. I Isn't don't know. there
4: a scene with Buttercup talking to him, though, where she talks about how she's going to kill herself and he's just sort of like, that's nice?
3: Yeah, because she kisses him on the cheek right. and then he's just running down the hall going, like,
4: she kissed me. Uh, <laughs> Which is, I was me? like, "Yeah,
3: yeah, that would be me. Not even listening to anything she's saying. <laughs> she kissed me. So, because of this axe to grind with Prince Humperdinck, Miracle Max agrees to help them. He gives them this miracle pill, brings Wesley back slowly, a little bit at a time. This always jumped out at me, too, as a kid, because, again, similar to the whole concept of the machine and sucking one year at a time away and all that stuff, this whole idea of having your hero from the movie be this useless, paralyzed guy that they have to like carry around. He can't even hold his head up. Yeah. It's such a weird... Way to go into your climactic moment of the movie. Always
4: remains witty, though, throughout all this. Well, why wouldn't he? Yeah. There's a lot of witty people
3: running around Florence sure. at this time. For sure, yeah. They go to the castle. Which, they see that there's now 60 men guarding it. There's only say, one entrance somehow. I
4: always like think to myself that this miracle occur, occurred. Like the- he gives them the miracle pill, basically, and that they're going to give it to Wesley right there. But instead, they leave with Wesley and take the pill with them.
3: Well, because they have to wait 15 minutes. Yeah,
4: I guess. It and then like it's probably- physics,
3: like, has it been 15 minutes? And it goes like, I don't know. <laughs> but we can't, We have to do it now.
4: Right. <laughs> I mean, it has to take more than 15 minutes to walk from Miracle Max's cabin to get to this castle. Does it
3: seem like a type of world that would even know what minutes are? <laughs> a
1: good Are point. they measuring minutes right.
3: in this time period in Florin? <laughs> now that Wesley's... Regained consciousness, they're kind of filling him in, yeah. inigo summing it up,
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Wesley gets on board like pretty quick, well, buttercup's involved. no choice. He's quickly trying to come up with a plan, but it's just like he doesn't get the full inventory of everything that they have at their <laughs> use at first. He's like, it's impossible. we might as well not even try. It's like if I had a wheelbarrow, that'd be something, and then, <laughs> you they're know like, they well we it. have
3: a wheelbarrow. why didn't you list that in the assets? Wesley concocts a plan using a wheelbarrow and a fireproof cloak. Basically, this leaves the three of them, which is Wesley, who can't even walk, Inigo, and Fezzik, to push Fezzik the giant on this wheelbarrow and then light this cloak on fire. And he's claiming to be the dread pirate Roberts. It's supposed to be this scary visual, which somehow works and scares off the castle guards.
4: Yeah, did you find it scary? No.
3: <laughs> yeah at every turn other than the big long sword fight between indigo and wesley earlier in the movie they avoid the big battle sequences yes. every time now there will be a sword fight coming up between dugan and indigo but even that's kind of quick right and the
4: stabbing that happens in it doesn't look great to me what do you mean they they have moments where the two of them are stabbing each other oh, and it just yeah. sort of looks like i don't know something sliding into like a bag <laughs> like it doesn't look like a human being is being stabbed in those moments well what did you want them to do actually stab each other. i did actually yes
3: <laughs> while this is happening the ceremony between humperdinck and buttercup is underway it has a hilariously long-winded priest with a speech impediment <laughs> <laughs> just droning right. on and on and on I guess because of all the commotion of this whole plan and breaking into the castle and everyone running around not knowing what's going on, Humperdinck realizes that the castle's been breached and he rushes the wedding to the end, which is the exchanging of the rings.
4: Well, wouldn't you be, though? But she never says, I do. That's true.
3: Once inside the castle, Indigo pursues Dugan and he just over and over again is delivering his famous lines in person now. Hello, my name is Nego Montoya. You killed my father, prepare to die. That's right. Is that the whole thing?
4: Oh, yeah. He had teased I it earlier. I was all in on this, you know, this whole little blurb that he repeats over. I'm surprised over it's
3: and over. not the name of, like, a fallout Out Boy song or yeah. something.
4: After this wedding, Buttercup thinks
3: that she's married to Humperdinck, so she's planning to commit suicide, which she tells the old king, who ignores her, basically. Indigo's chasing Dugan. Dugan throws a knife, which catches Indigo off guard. Yeah, lands in his stomach a lot of blood
4: oh yeah i mean we, you kind of think this could be the end for Inigo. he
3: certainly thinks so because he's apologizing yeah. to his father for failing to avenge him he's kind of collapsing to the ground yep we cut back just as buttercup is putting the knife to her chest you thinking like oh my god
4: great line from wesley coming up here. oh i got it written
3: down don't worry But in this moment, Indigo has failed, Right, falling to the ground, bleeding out. Buttercup is married to Humperdinck, or so we think. Knife poised at her chest. Cut
4: back to Fred Savage. Grandpa, this is not how the story goes.
3: (laughs) literally punching his grandfather in the face.
4: (laughs) You fucking bitch. Right. You bitch ass. (laughs) You can't read this fucking book right. (laughs) You stupid motherfucker. Curb stomping him. Yeah. movie takes a dark turn.
3: So just as Buttercup is about to stab herself in the chest, out of nowhere, Wesley says...
4: (laughs) I don't remember the line word for word. There's a shortage
3: of perfect breasts in this world. It would be a pity to damage yours. Yes, (laughs) I do enjoy that. He's laying on her bed. He still can't really move very well. And at that moment, Indigo rallies. He's using the words hello, my name is Inigo Montoya, you killed my yeah, father. Yeah, it's almost like it's an adrenaline
4: shot to the chest for him.
3: He's gaining strength by saying it over and over, and it's freaking Dugan out. They have a duel. He gets the upper hand, kills Dugan. Buttercup is kissing Wesley. Wesley can't really hold her back. She's kind of like, well, what do we do now? I'm already married. I don't know what to do. This was at a time probably where divorce wasn't super common. Yeah,
4: <laughs> the an annulment wasn't an option, you don't think? I think the only way to annul
3: it if you were a king was just to behead your wife. Right.
4: (laughs) It was a simpler
3: time. (laughs) But as Wesley explains, you didn't actually say, I do, so it's not official. Actually, mansplaining here to Buttercup. He's he's mansplaining marriage. You know what? Buttercup deserves to have some things mansplained to her. She She failed to see it It was Wesley. She believes everything Humperdinck says. Come on, Buttercup. Yeah, Get it together. Get it together. What are we doing here? <laughs> Humperdink enters the room, and again, avoiding the big climactic battle moment, instead of the two of them they do having this a well. duel, yeah, he just bluffs Humperdinck into thinking he's like this bad motherfucker who's gonna like not kill him, but he leave does him speak very disfigured. convincingly. Yeah, he doesn't want to fight. Humperdinck to the death, but to the pain. And then he explains what to the pain is, and it sounds pretty horrible.
4: I do like Humperdinck being like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Then my ears. No. (laughs) Yeah.
0: To the death. No. To the pain. I don't think I'm quite familiar with that phrase. I'll explain, and I'll use small words that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon.
1: That may be the first time in my life a man
0: has dared insult me. It won't be the last. To the pain means the first thing you lose will be your feet below the ankles. Then your hands at the wrists. Next, your nose. And then my tongue, I suppose. I killed you too quickly the last time. A mistake I don't mean to duplicate tonight. I wasn't finished. The next thing you lose will be your left eye, followed by your right. And then my ears, I understand. Let's get on with it. Wrong! Your ears you keep, and I'll tell you why. So that every shriek of every child at seeing your hideousness will be yours to cherish. Every babe that weeps at your approach, every woman who cries out, Dear God, what is that thing, will echo in your perfect ears. That is what the pain means. It means I leave you in anguish. Wallowing in freakish misery forever.
1: I think you're bluffing.
0: It's possible, pig. I might be bluffing. It's conceivable, you miserable, vomitous mass. I'm only lying here because I lack the strength to stand. Then again. Perhaps I have the strength after all. Time up. Make it as tight as you like. Oh. Where's Fessick? I thought he was with you. No. In that case,
1: help him.
2: Why does Wesley need helping?
1: Because he has no strength. I knew it. I knew you were bluffing. I knew he was bluffing.
3: Eventually he buys into it, he drops his sword, he sits down. Wesley has Buttercup tie him up, and then when Indigo comes in and then it's clear that Wesley can't move, (laughs) Fumperdick's like, I knew he was bluffing. I knew he was bluffing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So dumb. Already tied up. Too late. And conveniently, Fezzik has found four white horses to escape on. Yeah. And they jump out the window. He catches-
4: Meets Buttercup for the first time. Appropriately addresses her, hi, pretty lady. Yeah. Well said. And-
3: The four of them ride off, and that's like the end. And then they have like the big kissing moment, which the grandfather, basing his decision on what, yeah, the grandson had previously said about not wanting to hear about the kiss, he skips over it. This time, Fred Savage like eagerly wants to hear it. He's got like his little dick out, and he's just like like, stroking it. What else did
4: they do? (laughs) Like
3: I need all of the details, Granddad. (laughs) (laughs) He gets like real weird. Oh boy. (laughs) He's like cutting a hole into his pillow. That's
4: the last story I read you, kid. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I
3: think there was a deleted scene of the Fred Savage character turning to his window, I think, after the grandfather leaves, and the four of them being there on the horses. Wow. And you can see like a rough cut of it on the Blu ray. It's not like in HD or anything, so it looks like real shitty. It's like on video. Yeah,
4: it sounds like it would look shitty. In well, they had, again, they, there was no horse that could actually
3: carry Andre the Giant, right. so they had to, like, come up with this whole thing. And... How
4: many horses died for them to
3: figure <laughs> that out? <laughs> it was like the first season of HBO's show Luck. Yeah. <laughs> They're just shooting horses right. left and right. <laughs> it's another similarity to The NeverEnding Story that would have been one too many, I think, if they would have left. that, end. You would have been like, really? That's probably right. Crossing into the real world. Yeah. I don't like it. Ultimately, though, it's funny because The NeverEnding Story... As we talked about in that commentary, I think made like a hundred million dollars at the box office. The Princess Bride made thirty. Yeah. Was not a big hit at all. No. Now it became one. Cult on classic video. Yeah. It was a big rental and has gone on to become this classic thing now immortalized in the Criterion collection. I don't foresee a Criterion never
4: ending story. I'm not seeing soon. it, no. Certainly would buy though. <laughs> Well, yeah, I own the regular version. (laughs) But it's just interesting how
3: two very similar movies from the same decade have such different paths to where they are today. Yeah. The Princess Bride is held up as a classic, very quotable. Right. People in our age demographic are very familiar with it. The NeverEnding Story has started to fade a lot more.
4: Oh, for sure. And if I was to recommend one to somebody it would definitely be the princess bride even though i personally do enjoy Neverending story and i have such a nostalgic tie to it because i watched it so much when i was a kid yeah. it's just like princess bride i think it's just like one of those way more generally accepted movies and like most people would enjoy yeah there's a lot of like
3: campiness to the never ending story it's not traditionally good I would okay say. yeah you could say that or at least it doesn't hold up. I think right. for what it was supposed to be and at the time period, it was probably fine. But yeah,
4: in fact, I would say pretty unique and pretty dark for a kids movie. Well, I guess a lot that of was them the going, are, were yeah, back that then. That was the going thing in the eighties. Yeah,
3: I, that's like a whole other conversation. That every kids yeah. movie was very dark. In fact, I would say the Neverending Story is not that dark compared to a lot of them. Well, uh, yeah, but the Princess Bride though is certainly a better movie that holds up it doesn't really feel that dated yeah I i'm sure the that. video game fred savage is playing at the beginning is not uh, current or anything but yeah
4: well when you don't go for crazy effects at any point yeah shit effects will stay the same from 1987 to you know 2027 yeah,
3: compare how the dragons looked during the Battle of Winterfell right. on Game of Thrones versus that dog dragon <laughs> flying around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, I think that'll do it for The Princess Bride, unless there's anything else. No, I think,
4: you know, not a lot to say here. It was a quickie, but yeah, I say that it was I, probably I think like an fine. hour and a half. I mean, The Princess Bride is just like a fun, funny movie. It's just like one of those you could throw on at any time. It's a quick watch. You have a good time with it. It moves along. Is it dumb? Sure. But yeah, I and there's some it. nitpicking with the plot like
3: what how does Indigo know that Buttercup is the man in black slash Wesley's true love. He just says that to Fezzik before they find him right in the woods. It's like I don't know how he knows that or how Fezzik knows that Count Dugan is the six fingered man when that was Wesley that we as the audience saw.
4: Well I think what we need to take it as is the grandpa is only reading the good parts of the book.
3: Yeah, which maybe works for the book, but that's not something that was said in the movie. They don't go through the whole good parts routine.
4: Yeah, I mean, I certainly didn't know it until you told me, but now that I do know, I'm just applying it to the movie.
3: Yeah, I started to read the book. I haven't finished it yet. I didn't have time, but I've read a decent amount of it. Oh, boy. All right, so that'll do it. Follow the show on Twitter, at GreatestPod. As I mentioned earlier, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, and we would love for you to give us a rating and a review. It only takes a second. It would help, I guess. Someone, I think. Makes us look a little better. Yeah. Because we're definitely willing to put in all this time for very little reward.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, no, we love it. Another uh, happy ending (laughs) to an episode. No, it's... You know, whatever.
3: Yeah. All right, so we'll see you next time.
4: I can see her
1: lying back in satin.
5: Andre so enjoyed flatulence. When he passed gas, it was, it was an event. Flatulence, that was his trademark. And he had a real knack for lifting his left leg.
3: I would see him go into the launch position
2: and i'd say oh my god here it comes you've never heard anything
5: like it it sounded like you know like a deep roar kind of like thing it would rumble the sound of of andre taking a fart well they
3: were loud big man big fart you'd love to get you in an elevator and cut one of those long 30-second farts that sound like skin was flapping together. (laughs) I remember every once in a while we'd charter a plane, but to see the pilots, you know, almost like somebody gets smoke in their eyes, I'm like, you're gonna wreck the plane, Andre? You can't fart like that in your pants. And the pilots would be,
1: GD this, F that. God, never, never on this plane again.